the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab episode 603 for Sunday, May 1st, 2016. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. The show that's like car talk for Apple geeks. You send in, you send in, you send in your questions, tips, your cool stuff found. We answer your questions. We share everything. The goal is for us all to learn at least three new things each and every time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include Text Expander at smilesoftware.com slash geek and Casper at casper.com slash MGG. We'll talk more about both of those shortly here. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, along with this guy who's got a leaf blower who is having a blast with it, even though there are no leaves, <laughs> this is John F. Braun. How you doing today, John F. Braun? <laughs> good. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be blowing any leaves today, but uh, yeah, I'm good. Well, your na- <laughs> it sounds like your neighbor's taking care of that for you. He's, um, it's, it's, it may, I assume he's in the room with you, blowing uh, the leaves out of your office, which is, you know, that's, that's cool. That's good. <laughs> Ah, uh, yeah. All right, let's um, yeah, let's just dive right in, John, because that makes uh, that makes for a, a, an efficient show. So, uh, so Tannel, I believe I have uh, his name right. He says we have a couple things from the last episode, and this is one of them. In the last episode, six hundred two, you had trouble figuring out how to how, figuring out a correct pronunciation of the word isochronous. OS 10 has a built-in dictionary, and the correct pronunciations are given there. You can even choose between British and American English dictionaries and get pronunciation advice accordingly. You can access the dictionary in a number of ways. You can open the app, you can write the word in Spotlight, or you can just tap on a word with three fingers and a dictionary window pops up. You can also tap on a word and, and uh, right-click or control-click and, and choose look up the word. Uh, as a non-native speaker, I use this feature frequently. You can also get correct pronunciation on iOS as well. Just type the word, select it, and tap define. You're totally right, Tannel. And in fact, there's one more thing uh, that can be done with OS X, and that is you can have it speak the word for you. Now, I know that can result in interesting outcomes, especially with like proper names. But if you choose a word uh, in a... T- you, I think you have to be in a text editor, but if you choose a word... Right click on it and go to speech and choose start speaking, you get whatever OS 10 thinks that word is. And so, for that word we were looking for last week, here we go. Isochronous. There you go. So, it, uh, it actually pronounces it correctly. So, thanks, Tano. That's, that's a handy tip. What do you think, John? Nice. Yeah, I know. It's pretty good. That's OS 10 for you. Good stuff. Yeah, in my case, I think it was also a thinko because I, I seemed to—I was confusing it with. I think there is a word isynchronous, but but it it, it means it it has a different meaning. It has a different meaning. Trying. That's right. Yes, yes, yes. That's right. That's right. All right. Also from six hundred two, Bill says um, to add to your rogue amoeba uh, fission discussion in six hundred two, fission makes it really easy to create ringtones as well. Just select and edit the audio you want. And Fission can add it straight to iTunes as a ringtone in the right format. It's great. So thanks, Bill. That's uh, that's handy. Yeah, Fission is, like I said, it's an app I use uh, weekly 
because it just makes it so easy to do all this kind of stuff. So yeah, fun. And I I'm think trying to recall oh, yeah. a mini tip, but I, I do. I'm trying to remember the extension, but this is something that Apple doesn't necessarily advertise. But I remember when I was creating my own ringtones. I think what you have to do in order to get iTunes to grok it in the ringtones category, I think you have to give it M. Is it M3R? I, I M4R. I think M4R. Yeah. Yes. Is that if you if you try to drag just an MP3 file or or a uh, if you just tried to drag a sound file in the ringtones category, More. iTunes itself would be like, no. no. You had to give it a very specific uh, suffix. And then it would be like, oh, yeah, sure. Because, yeah, I have some that I created on my own without a third-party tool. I just had to rename it. So uh, Yeah, well, and it, I believe it needs to be uh, an AAC formatted file. So it can't be an MP3. It needs to be AAC. And then, like, like we said, it needs to be .m4r is um is the format uh and there might be some further restrictions on that i, I don't know but there might be bitrate restrictions i mean it, it might not like for example apple lossless i don't know if you can have a lossless file be a ringtone I, it, it might need to be you know compressed at a, at a certain bitrate i i don't know but uh but yeah yeah, I've always made them with GarageBand in the past, but uh, uh, but right. but obvi- because that's available for free on every Mac, and and you can export uh, as a ringtone, or at least you used to be able to. It's been a while since I've made one, but certainly Fission will do it. So good stuff, Kevin. Lastly, with a tip from uh, related to six hundred two, he says I was listening, and there was some mention of DS store files. Since I use a Mac at work and others don't, I was concerned about having DS store files getting strewn about uh, some of the Windows file shares. I came across, after some research, a setting that will prevent the writing of DS store files to network volumes. And it's a defaults write command. It's defaults write com.apple.desktop services. DS don't write network stores true. And we'll put that in the uh, in the show notes, obviously, so you folks don't have to, uh, you know, don't have to think about it. Um, or don't have to write it down from us saying it very quickly. But thank you, Kevin. That's uh, that's a great one. I, I I don't know that I knew that that existed. I certainly don't have have it. Excuse me. I don't have it set on mine. I don't know. I don't know. It's good stuff. Very good stuff. Thoughts on that, John? Uh, it it's best to not. Um... No, I remember having to do that back in the day when I was in a mixed environment because, yeah, you don't want your Windows um, friends shaking their fists at you saying, what is all this garbage your Mac is putting on my computer, my servers? Right, <laughs> right. It right. doesn't hurt anything, but it, it can be an annoyance since they can't do anything with the file. Yeah, and they'll wind up deleting them and now you, you get these wars going on where they're like, how come, yeah, how come it keeps getting, it keeps coming back? It's my folder, that kind of thing. So yeah, 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 that's handy. Um, but I think then you lose, uh, as a Mac user, you lose any custom layout that you've done with the icons or, or that sort of thing there, but perhaps a small price to pay. So, yes. Yeah. Carrie writes i'm looking for a really good ipad note-taking application which has really good handwriting recognition i see a bunch in the app store but not sure which one i want to buy i i will be honest and we'll throw this out to the community because i haven't really done a ton with this but every single person that i talk to that does loves notability from gingerlabs.com 
so we'll we'll certainly put that in the in the show notes. I I have I I've used it a little, but not a ton. One thing I know people really like about it is that if you're attending, say, a, a seminar or a lecture or even taking you know a class, or whatever, where someone is speaking and you're taking notes, which might be the thing that's happening often, you can have it use the microphone on the iPad to record uh, the the seminar, and it will tie the the timestamp of the audio to the note that you wrote. So if you have trouble understanding, like, well, what did I write this note for? It'll play the audio right from that uh, that segment, and you can, oh, that's what, ah, got it, and then you, you kind of correct it. So, um, so notability might be something to uh, to look into. John, do you know of anything, or maybe anybody in the chat room at macgeekgub.com slash stream will um, certainly suggest it. And and in future shows, anybody listening, please you know tell us feedback at macgeekgub.com. We'd love to hear from you. Last I did that sort of thing was graffiti, my friend. <laughs> well, that's that's a long time ago. Yeah, which in the day was something. And you know, I thought, and I thought somebody came out with with a way to use that on iOS. Um, There's so many better things than graffiti now. Oh yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, yeah. Just to be in fair. the time, it was yeah. good for people that don't know. Graffiti was a special pen based. Um, uh, set of characters that was you know very basic recognition and, and it made certain things very unique so that they would resolve into the proper letters and sure it was, uh, and it, it was great but yeah yeah oh and it's funny we have some uh, old timers here in our chat room um who also fondly remember graffiti and doug doug d uh suggests for doing that that kind of stuff now um penultimate uh on ios is uh is something that is suggested and it will sync with Evernote too. So, uh, and penultimate appears to be free. So that, uh, is another one that we will throw into the show notes as well. Good stuff. Thank you, Doug D. I believe it was Doug D. Yeah. Doug D. So all kinds of options. And let's see, what else do we have here, John? Uh, Mike, it's time to get into some troubleshooting. Don't you think? Because Mike, Mike hats says, off, hats off to Mike. Mike um, says, uh, let's see. I have a minor issue that I would like to ask for your assistance. He's got a 21 and a half inch 2010 iMac. And he says the Mac does not find the external drive when connected via the firewire port, which supports firewire 800. There's no issue connecting it via a USB two port. Uh, he says it's a OWC drive and he says, I purchased the model uh, specifically so that it had multi-port flexibility. I could use it with uh, USB or firewire prior to purchasing. And now he's going to go through the troubleshooting that he's already done. And I agree with you, John kudos to Mike he says prior to purchasing the OWC drive, I'd never used the firewire port on the Mac. So I am not sure if it was perhaps faulty from day one or at any point along the line. He says the folks at OWC have been very helpful and their support's fantastic. I went through several troubleshooting steps. They went through several, several troubleshooting steps with me on the phone and couldn't resolve the issue. This included resetting the PRAM, uh, et cetera, similar steps that you guys frequently provide uh, advice on performing. OWC sent me a replacement cable, firewire cable, which they suspected might be faulty. This did not resolve the issue. I then shipped the drive and cable back to OWC for warranty service. They tested this in their lab and sent the drive and cable back, stating that all hardware checked out fine. To rule out the OWC hardware myself, I have another Mac, which is a 20-inch late 2006 iMac running Lion. 
that I tested the drive on and the system recognized the drive right away over FireWire. The only difference being that it was a FireWire 400 port as opposed to 800. Just to make sure that the issue wasn't both OWC cables, I bought another FireWire cable and tested this on the uh, 2010 iMac, which has uh, which has the issue. However, the drive still wasn't recognized. My thoughts, he says, therefore, are thus leaning towards something wrong with the FireWire port or firmware issue on the iMac. He says, uh, I love the OWC drive and uh, I'm using Carbon Copy Cloner setup with it. Performing backups over USB 2 is slow, and I really want to take advantage of FireWire uh, if possible. And he says, I've tested booting off the OWC drive as a target drive, and it works over USB 2. Is there anything you can think of? So, yeah, again, kudos. Uh, I'll echo what you said, John. The only thing you didn't specifically mention is resetting the SMC. You, but... But you may have done that. I mean, he said he said he reset the PRAM, et cetera. Um, the SMC is separate from the PRAM, but like the PRAM, it's one of those things that can fix a hardware problem, what seems to be a hardware problem, uh, because it is the kind of the bridge, if you will, between hardware and, and software slash drivers. The other thing to try is starting to think about well is the os on that um on that machine is there something wrong with the firewire drivers but you said you tried booting from it and that would usually indicate that, uh, that we've kind of ruled that out because it would at least show up as a bootable drive but um but you know trying in safe mode those types of things would be uh would be the thing so uh, SMC reset, safe mode, booting, booting the the machine from a clean install of OS 10. Again, I think you've I think you've ruled that out. But just in a general sense for folks, this is the type of stuff that when you really want to narrow it down, this is what you've got to do. You've got to kind of get rid of all other variables. Um, but I think that your um, I think that your FireWire port shot. One thing to remember for all of us to remember, because it's easy when we get kind of in a in a spot like this, is that Apple at the Genius Bar will do troubleshooting for free uh, up to the point where they would have to replace hardware. Right. Even if your machine's out of warranty, they will troubleshoot it for free at the Genius Bar most of the time. Uh, and they're happy to do this. So that would you know, if you if you want someone else to touch the machine and get in there that knows um, a bit about what they're doing. The Genius Bar can really, actually, I say a bit, that that's actually not fair. Lately, my experience at the Genius Bar has been quite good, and the people there have been quite knowledgeable. So um, so I would, I would uh, you know, bear that in mind. Your thoughts, my, 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 my esteemed colleague and I friend? had something very similar, and I isolated it. So, so on my prior Mac Mini, I had the same FireWire port. And of course, you know, FireWire versus USB, it was faster. Um, but I was having a similar issue. I had the FireWire drive would just disappear. It would disconnect and, you know, it would give you the, you know, you ejected this improperly. And I'm like, no, I didn't. And went through a similar thing, replaced the cable, tried a different port and eventually concluded it was a bad FireWire port on the drive. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. He, and he's ruled that out in, in this scenario. Right. But, uh, uh, in my case that, yeah, in my case. Yeah. And, and again, you know, you, got to very methodically, you know, switch things out to isolate, which 
Mike did. Yeah. So that's why I said hats off. He was very methodical in in uh, switching things out. You know. Uh oh. You know, we had this problem earlier. I'm going to see if Mr. Braun comes back before I pause the show. Um, and we'll see if he comes back, and then maybe maybe I'll need to pause the show. But uh, we were having a problem earlier with uh, with exactly this. So no, it it seems like uh, Mr. Braun is gone. And we'll see. Are you back, John? I think I am. Okay. So I explained, I, I didn't stop the show. I was about to pause the show and then I heard you come back. So uh, we had this problem actually twice in pre-show where you and I, uh, our Skype connection was lost. So my question is, and, and when we had it the second time, we both opened up a terminal mm-hmm. window and started pinging www.apple.com so that we'd have a ping trail going when this problem happened again, if it happened again. So my question mm-hmm. for you is, does your ping trail show any interrupts? And the answer is no. Huh. Me so neither. It is not, it is not, <laughs> so it is not a low level network issue. It's, no. it's a higher level. Uh, I, I, would, I would venture Skype specific Skype routing issue. I don't know. But there's no Skype routing. I mean, I can look with the technical call info in Skype. And oh, I we're, we're direct? See okay. that we have zero relays. So it, it, um, it could be a number of things. We've, I think this week we've both made changes to our home networks. I made a very, very minor change. Um, you made a <gasps> oh. much larger change, I would say. So I'm I'm wondering if your well, change is it. Yeah, and you know, it, and we'll go into detail about that. But uh, yeah, let's uh, let's wrap up Mike, and then we'll and then we'll yes. jump to that. Uh, right? It was Mike that Mike that we were on. If I if mm-hmm. memory memory serves me here, I'm I'm jumping all around because uh, you know. <laughs> I think so because that. Yep, and now we're not. You know, I just noticed something here. Evernote showed me a little icon. Okay. On this note. It showed it showed me that you were looking at Mike. <laughs> oh, interesting. Oh no, I, and I had changed. I was I was I had moved on to Kevin's note because I had read all the things that I wanted out of Mike's note. But Furby's had one suggestion uh, for this scenario. If if in fact we've narrowed, let's assume we've narrowed it down to a bad firewire port uh, for Mike, that could be an electronic issue, meaning you know a, a controller chip or something, right? Or it could be a resistance issue, that being the connectors from the FireWire cable are unable to make a good connection with the connectors of the FireWire port. And, uh, and you know, I always joke about when something's not powered up because it's not plugged in, that's a resistance issue, right? There's too much resistance between the plug, which is laying on the floor, and the outlet, which is on the wall. But in this case, Furby's in the chat room suggests maybe it's dust, so using a little bit of compressed air gently to blow out the firewire port might, might solve this problem. I mean, it's worth trying, uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting thought. Couldn't hurt. Nope. Nope. I don't think I'm. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, gently compressed air, you know, but yeah. So I'm just, I'm, I'm just kind of a. Uh chuckling because uh someone had forwarded us a video mm. um 
which as, as it turns out is the guy that does joke videos. Uh, the video was how to speed up your Wi-Fi by three times. Oh, well, that's different. Yeah, by yeah, taping yeah. batteries to the. But then the guy also had a video saying, "Here's how you can speed up your wired network," and he suggested uh, uh, cleaning the dust off of the uh, connectors. <laughs> but they, he made a ludicrous claim, like sure. you could speed up your network by ten times. And then he talked about, well, you may want to orient the cable in a certain way because you know the bits, uh, you know, going in one direction may want the cable in one orientation. And it's like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Uh, the one video I knew he was joking. He's like, you want to use electrical tape because it conducts electricity. As soon as he said that, I knew the guy was goofing. <laughs> yeah. He's people. just goofing around. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. But he sounded very convincing. Until- no. It, yeah. 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 We'll find that video. We'll put it in the show notes. It was pretty funny uh, because yeah, but you got to be careful when you watch this guy because he seems like he's giving good advice until you realize that taping batteries to your Wi-Fi antenna really isn't going to solve your problem. Um, not in any material way. No. Not in the way he's general. The describes. thing is, if you look at so in general, and I've seen this as well, um, when people when you're sharing things with people, you may want to look either at the name of the site or actually at the site itself, because a lot of sites, like this guy says, uh, I do funny videos, joke videos. Right. Um, you wouldn't. You probably wouldn't realize it if you watch the video, but if you went to the description of his uh, feed. He, he makes it fairly clear that he's, he's goofing on you. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and somewhat one of our listeners uh, apparently got caught. That's right. <laughs> All right. Um, let, let's talk about what you did with your network, John, because th- this, is, um, this is interesting. So I guess we should jump to, to James. Is that because it was, it was James's fault that you did all this to your network, correct? Oh, I don't, I don't blame him. Because no, it, it was I, a, of course. He, he was the catalyst, right. It was a learning journey for me. So uh, James started off by actually just saying, um, he was asking John, what a TP-Link switch do you have? So important to, to, to offer a distinction here because you use, and you've talked about two different TP-Link devices. You have a switch, which is basically a box into which you plug a bunch of ethernet cables and it allows you allows all of these devices to see each other on your local network. And, and it might do more than that, and we'll get into it. And then also, separate from that, you have a TP-Link router, which is what manages your internet connection, and also has a four-port switch built into it, so you can plug Ethernet devices into that as well. But it's also a Wi-Fi router right. and, or an access right. point in a router. So the, be- so the beginning of this, so, so, so my switch, and, and as Dave points out, you want to keep in mind a switch does certain things on the network and a router uh, does more um, and, you, and you, you want to distinguish that. So, but I answered the question and actually I did find something out, Dave. So the TP link uh, TL, I think SG 108 E is what I have. And actually okay. I learned this by going to their webpage. Cause I, I looked at their webpage, you know, to confirm that yes, this is the one I have when I got it. You either had to run the windows software or extract a Java file from it and you could run it on the Mac and then you had to do some magic with the firewall to deal with the way Mac routes traffic versus Windows, and then you could run the management software. And okay. then I run that, and it's fine. I actually looked at their webpage now, and they have upgraded this unit. Version 2 of this unit, and they have a little footnote, uh, does have a web-based management interface. Okay. So, a, so lot of, a lot of switches that we use in our homes, in fact, all the switches that I use here are what I would call dumb switches. They have no management interface. They don't get an IP address. There's no way to, to change their functionality. They're just dumb switches. But... There can be some benefits to having a smart switch. Oh, absolutely. Um, 
Yeah, this this allows you to do all sorts of things. So then he followed up a little little while later with a question. My network environment is charter for my ISP with a DOCSIS 3 modem, a fourth generation airport extreme, and an old unmanaged or dumb SMC switch. When I run speed test, I get 65 megabits down, 4 megabits up, with grades of buffer bloat D or F. Um, since there's a little management on the airport, will replacing the SMC switch with the TP link allow me to do any shaping to improve network performance? And, and this, the answer, and, and this is where the rabbit hole opened up. Well, the thing is, the answer to this question, I'll tell you what the answer is. And I, I told him this as well. The answer is yes and no. <laughs> okay. To the very specific question of whether you can use the switch to shape your traffic to get better score. The answer is, Dave, in fact, Yes. So your switch actually because lets I you do some, some quality yeah. of service, bandwidth, traffic Absolutely. shaping, limiting kind of yes. thing. Huh. So this TP-Link switch actually has bandwidth-based quality of service for each of the ports on this. Okay. Okay. And so what I did, so then I ran the test again. You know, so the last time, on the last show, I ran the test and I got a failing grade. Right, right. On my wired machine. Because now, you didn't run, because your your router... You did. You hadn't enabled QoS on your router, whether or not Correct. it supports it. Okay, got it. Correct. So I got a terrible grade. Then I looked at the test a little. Uh, then I watched the test live to determine where the problem was. And at least in my situation, my downstream buffer bloat was fine. I watched it. You can see this sure. live running the test, and it showed it was great. But my upstream quickly ballooned from tens of milliseconds to hundreds, like six, seven hundred milliseconds. And I'm yeah. like, all right. So here's the problem. The problem was my upstream could use a bit of love or a bit of managing. And so what I did is I went to my switch and changed the um, quality of service, or I basically bandwidth limited my upstream to just a wee bit less than the advertised uh, upstream bandwidth that I got or the result that I got in the test. So I think I got like five megabits. So I set it just a little lower, like four and a half megabits. Yeah. On the switch, okay, which is, remember, connected to the router. But the thing is, when I ran the test, I went from an F to an A. Mm. Yeah, because you, you made sure you weren't hitting your cable modem's limit, and therefore yes. your, your switch will almost always do a much better job of managing that traffic, whereas your cable modem puts a brick wall up and says, no, no, you know, now we're just going to start buffering things, and that's just how it's going to be. Right. Yeah. So the so the very specific answer to his question, will this switch help bandwidth shaping and give me a better score? Is yes. So now I have the but that's the little picture. And right. You followed up on this, I think, through Facebook. But I, I have a I have a question for you. So yes. your computer is connected to this uh, switch. The the switch is essentially between your computer and, and other devices and your router. Um correct? Essentially. My cable modem is connected to your router, My router yep. and the router is connected to the switch. Okay. And now when, and this is where, because we're, we're going to offer some very, very, um, we're going to offer some advice here, uh, but I want people to understand the caveats of, of doing things like this, because for, for people that have like your router, you could turn on QOS and your router, but some people can't it. People with airport routers cannot. And, as we've found recently, airport routers do a terrible job 
at managing. They don't do any job of managing, you know, the buffers. They just barf all the traffic out and that can cause some issues when, when you're saturating your upstream or your downstream. So uh, you could use this device, but you have to be very aware of what you're doing. Let me ask you this, uh, but when you, when you set the um, upstream, when you limited the upstream from the switch, would that then have also limited you from sending to any device on your network at speeds faster than four and a half megabits per second? Or were you somehow only limiting the, 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 the data that you sent to your router to that speed? Yes. <laughs> well, no, I was limiting the speed on the port that was connected to the, the router, the router. So not to the computer, but okay. Now I'll, I'll point it out. Your router is still your router and your wireless access point. So at the moment, the fastest, any wireless device in your house could get data from anything connected to the switch, your computer, your disc station, anything like that is four and a half megabits a second. It has no way of knowing at this point anyway, that the traffic that it's limiting is local versus not local. Right. So if I went to download something uh, from my, you know, from your disk station to my iPhone, or if you did that, uh, you would be also limited to four and a half megabits a second. Using, yes, using that choice. Now there's a couple of other ways to shape your bandwidth with, okay. uh, with this. It has like three different ways to do, um, sure. to do quality of service. So okay. I, I just pick the, the easiest. You pick one. the easiest one. No. And, and, and that's what I just want to point out to people because I mean, what we're talking about this route, this switch is a $30 device, right? So instead of replacing your, whatever, you know, 300, $200 Apple router, um, you could just add this $30 switch and make some and and use that to enact quality of service on your network but you're going to run into you have to be fully aware of the limits that you're putting into place otherwise you might wind up with some scenarios that that are non-preferable that's all i want to point out it get it gets really geeky is what it is absolutely then and then i took it to the next level because i was like okay so so for the very very specific question would this help Yes, but you, you make an excellent point in that it limits you in other ways. Right. Um, and to me, it's like, is it worth... Uh, mm. and, and actually, you know, until you brought up this uh, buffer bloat thing, uh, I, I'm not convinced for a lot of people that buffer bloat is necessarily something to get worried about. Um, you, know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? I, I, and then yeah, I've, I've, I've never had a situation where I said, boy, you know, I can't do X because there's this buffer bloat issue. Well, because I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, but you, to, to be fair, you don't live in a house where other people, where you're sharing that connection with other people. Correct. I'm the only user though. There are, right. I have multiple devices, but yes, you're right. Right. But, but, but that's the thing, right? I mean, we, we had it here many times. I, I'll use the example again of, you know, my wife uploading, uh, you know, I, I remember actually just recently we did a show when, uh, we had been on vacation and we didn't have Wi-Fi while we were on vacation. Right. And so we all got home and within like 20 minutes of getting home, you and I started recording a show and we started having all kinds of latency issues between us. And I realized, Oh, wait a minute. What's happening is everybody's iPhone, including mine. So this wouldn't necessarily happen just to uh, someone that lives with other people, but 
my iPhone started barfing all of my, and everybody's iPhone started barfing all these pictures that they had taken up to the cloud. Right. Cause I, I think it was a, a cruise vacation that we did and, and we didn't have wifi, you know, but we had taken some pictures. And so suddenly, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the, my router and it's just barfing all this data. It's like, Oh crap. So our upstream was soaked without any of us intentionally doing anything. And, and, and obviously it caught, it caused a problem for us. So I had to tell everybody to turn off your Wi-Fi on your phone. You know, it was like, dang it. And that was the day that it was like, yeah, I need to institute QoS. I, I firmly believe that every router should use QoS by default. Now it's, it's, it's not, mm-hmm. it's easier said than done because you've got to know what your bandwidth is and you've got to know what to set it to. And if you set it wrong, it's not going to help you. So, but I, I, I'm not, I, I don't, I disagree with you. Because I've experienced it, okay. but you won't, it's not the kind of thing that you're going to experience problems with every day. It's just occasionally, but it might be at exactly the wrong time. Right. Yeah. So to complete, all right. So then to complete this, then I looked a bit deeper because I saw some settings on the router and I was like, or I'm sorry, the switch suggesting that it may be more than just a simple switch. As it turns out, I was in, because uh, I saw it, it made mention of DHCP and I'm like, oh, well, that's interesting because this, uh, this switch does have an IP address. So it's, it's more than a, it's not a, a dumb switch doesn't have an IP address, right? It's just there. It's just like a virtual cable extender. Uh, this one has an IP address because, well, you need a way to get to it to run the management software. Um, the thing is, I still think it's 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 a better switch than a dumb switch because it, you know it provides it'll test your cables. It, I mean, it does a boatload of things for thirty bucks. Sure, so I'm, I'm I'm still I still think it's a good purchase to make. However, what I eventually did was move the quality of service, and and this will wrap up the the story here. I eventually moved the settings that I had set on the switch, moved it to the router. And got oh, the same ah. successful results because, well, yeah, you know, much that's, better, right? Well, you know, that's the weird thing. Yeah. And th- th- to close out the story here, the thing is, if you're going to do this QoS in order to eliminate buffer bloat, doing it on the router is the right way to do it. Doing it on a switch, uh, you may want to debate whether you want to do that or not. Yeah. As they've put out, there's downsides to doing that. It's, um, but it may make sense if you can't do it on your router, like an airport. Right. Um, right. Uh, But yeah, now the only weird thing, Dave, is that, so these are both TP-Link, but the thing is, the granularity of the, uh, (laughs) here's the weird part, is that the granularity of the uh, QoS bandwidth is different. So on one, it it would let me, on the switch, it would let me type it in in kilobits per second. And so I typed in 4,500 kilobits per second, which is just a tad below 4,500 kilobits, of course, being about 4.5 megabits. The thing is, the router didn't like that. It was like, well, no, 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 you can't do over a thousand if you're going to specify this in kilobits per second. And if you specify it in megabits per second, I won't let you do a fraction. You have to do a whole number. Oh, that's weird. Huh? Yeah. It's that's like, annoying. it's almost like different people wrote the firmware for the router and the switch, which I'm sure they did. Yeah. Right. <laughs> or well, at least they're not sharing the code base because it's the same feature. It works yeah. identically as far as I can tell. I mean, because I did, so I moved it to the router which is the right place to do it. And yep. I got the same successful grade. And mm. then as you pointed out in one of your questions, you're like, well, dude, you're going to saturate your, your Wi-Fi. Yeah. It's going to saturate. And, and I'm like, Oh yeah. Yeah. You got it. You just, again. Yeah. And that's the thing is it's it. And I, this happens to me too. Right. I mean, it's why it's good that we all talk about this stuff because it's really easy to get 
super myopic about this stuff when you're the one doing it. You know, you, you head down a path and, and you're like, oh, awesome. I fixed it. And it either takes, you know, you stepping back and saying, okay, now let's look at this holistically or somebody else coming in and saying, oh, look what you did. But do you realize that that had this other implications? Oh, no. Okay. You know, so it's just, you know, and this is where things like network diagrams can really help because you can start saying, you can say, okay, I put a limit here. What does that mean? Oh, look, there's half of my network is now limited. Got it. Okay. And you just need to be aware. So yeah, it's good yeah, stuff. And I, and I tried to go down the path of making the switch, the focal point and the, you know, the, to do uh NAT and stuff like that. And it doesn't do it because it's a switch. Cause it's a switch. It's not built to be a router. Yeah, the thing exactly. is, it, it doesn't does have the CPU. Have, it does have some higher, I mean, it can do VP, uh, uh, VPN and, and network huh? isolation and stuff. And the thing is, I think if I spent enough time, and added some routing tables to some other things like that and did this and that and put a DHCP server, you know, on another, I could probably get it to do this, but it's not the right way to do it. Right. (laughs) Just do it on the router. So I have two things to go through and then we'll, we'll actually put our, our sponsors as a hard cutting point of our, our router discussion uh, for this, this particular episode. I think, I think maybe, I don't know who knows Um, on the subject of QoS, Debbie had asked, you know, what do I need this for? Okay. So because in the, in the old days, nobody was really using it. And there's, there's two reasons for that. One is that routers weren't fast enough CPU wise to, to do it, at least not the ones that we had in our homes. Um, but number two, if you have a lot of devices active simultaneously, um, nowadays we all have, and it could be argued that we need more upstream bandwidth. And I agree with that. Um, but we have a lot more than we used to. Okay. Uh, but even downstream can get saturated too. So here's the thing. Uh, you've got a lot of devices active simultaneously. And while you have plenty of bandwidth overhead, that's actually where QoS works best. So think of it this way. If you barely had enough bandwidth to stream one video, QoS can't really do very much for you. You need to use all of it to get the video to that one device. And if you institute some sort of limits, then you're just shifting the negative impact of that, right? But with gobs and gobs of bandwidth, this is where QoS can be really handy. You have, let's say you have enough bandwidth to stream, you know, a dozen movies simultaneously. That's precisely why you don't want any one device hogging up the entire pipe, right? Causing things like web browsing and email to slow down. If you have the bandwidth to spare, that's where shaping that bandwidth, QoS is a part of of traffic shaping, can really help you, you know, just making sure that, look, there's plenty of bandwidth to go around. We don't need any one device or person consuming all of it. It doesn't matter. Just like, you know, give them enough. And if there's more that needs to go in, well, then start shaping it around. And 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 today's routers can do that. And that's why it's frustrating to see companies like Apple doing nothing on this front and just pretending it doesn't exist and pretending it's not necessary with more and more bandwidth, we actually, this is where we want QoS because it's okay. Like you said, you've got to give up a little bit of your headroom in order to shape the traffic properly, but it's worth it. You know, you're not going to notice a difference most of the time. And that's the point is you just want it to kind of work. So that's, that's step one. That's my, my suggestion on, uh, on QoS. Step two is I mentioned I made a change to my network uh, this week too. It's it, that's actually not entirely true. Um, I made it before we did last week's show. Um, 
I'm testing, I've been testing out a lot of different uh, cable modems just to kind of experience their interfaces and how they set up and, and that sort of thing. So right now I'm testing a Motorola MB7420, which is a 16 by four cable modem. That means that it goes 16 streams down, four streams up and get it at Amazon for about 90 bucks. Uh, so that's for Comcast customers. That's nine months of coming back uh, and being even in terms of your, uh, your rental fees. Now, here's the thing. Um, and, and I've talked to a lot of people. So this Motorola um, modem is a, is actually Motorola used to have their modems made by Aris years ago when Motorola and Aris partnered on the surfboard brand. The surfboard brand is Aris as Aris makes their own modems. We'll talk about those another time. Um, Motorola now uh, sources their modems from zoom uh, with some additional quality control put on the, the Motorola branded modems. So you're getting a, 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 what appears to be a very, very high quality modem uh, for, for a decent price. Here's the argument that uh, I, I was trying to figure out, you know, should we be recommending to you folks to get uh, an eight by four modem, meaning eight downstreams and four up or a 16 by four modem. And, you know, with most people's downstream being in the, you know, hundred to maybe 150 megabit per second range, an eight, Eight streams is enough for that, right? You can get, I think, 340 megabits per second down or something over eight streams. That's plenty. Well, here's the thing, though. Many cable companies, and Comcast certainly does this, will bond more channels than you need for your given service. Comcast will bond up to 20 channels regardless of what your service is. So, even though I only need maybe four streams down for my, you know, 150 megabit per second, I might need a little more than that actually. Um, but certainly eight is enough. Comcast is bond, going to bond up to 20. Now with this modem, obviously they're not going to bond 20 because there's only 16 capable in the modem. What happens though, is if you uh, are in a congested area having, and, and, and I, I haven't tested this uh, because I have no real way of testing this because I'm not in a congested area. But, uh, but the way it was explained to me is, and, and I'd love to hear more feedback about this if anyone knows, but the way it was explained to me is having more streams bonded allows you to spread that connection out over more of those streams. So as long as your cable head end, the CMTS, can support the bandwidth, you have a better shot at getting the bandwidth that's been guaranteed to you during even the most congested times if you have more streams synced and that stands to reason at least based on what i know about how you know cable systems work and and admittedly i don't know a ton so i would love to hear from more of you about this but uh, i'm fe more and more i'm feeling like we should be recommending to folks to get if you're going to go out and buy your own modem buy a 16 by 4 at least a 16 by 4 and there are some you know the nick one that i was testing that had had 20 and um, there's even one or 24, sorry. And there's even one out that that'll do 32 again it, at this point in time, Comcast only bonds up to 20 regardless. But, um, so a 32 wouldn't necessarily help you in that regard, but, uh, but yeah, this, this Motorola, the MB7420, I, it's simple, it's just a cable modem, no bells and whistles that you have to tweak or tinker with, uh, works very, very well. It's got a gigabit ethernet LAN port on it, obviously, which is, um, you know, mandatory now because we all have or many of us have cable connections that go faster than 100 so uh and 90 bucks at amazon you know two-year warranty all that good stuff so 
That's what I'm talking about, John. That's what I'm talking about. All right, cool. Brian no, Monroe says, uh, if there's interference in some frequency bands that your cable modem bonds at, and he said, yeah, so if you've got interference on one channel and you have more bonded, it's the same kind of thing. Yeah. So, you, you know, lots of, lots of options when you have more channels bonded than you need is, is sort of the, the thing. And the cost delta between an eight by four cable modem, eight down, four up versus a 16 down, four up cable modem is not much. I mean, you're talking, you know, maybe 15 bucks. Uh, it's not, it's not worth it for something that's probably going to last you a number of years. Yes. Doxis 3.1 is coming. Yes. When Doxis 3.1 comes, we potentially could get up to terabyte speeds um, or more, but, and we would need new modems for that, but um we're probably not going to get there anytime in the near, near future. And again, if you're paying 10 bucks a month to rent your modem, 90 bucks, you're done in nine months. You're not going to have Doxis three by then. So, so there you go. That's my thoughts on this. Is it, uh, are we good on this one, John? Can I, can I tell them about our, uh, our sponsors for the, uh, for the week? Absolutely. All right. Our first sponsor today is a longtime sponsor to Mac Geek Cab. That is Smile at smilesoftware.com slash geek with their new text expander. Text expander, longtime listeners know, is a utility that allows you to create large chunks of text and distill them down, trigger them, if you will, by typing just a little snippet. For example, I have my address in there. Instead of typing out my address, I type D-H-A-D-D and boom, it expands my address with the formatting I want and there's no risk of typos because I've already made sure it's right. Similarly, I have John's address in there because sometimes somebody's going to send me something and they also want to send John something. So I type J-B-A-D-D and it does the same with his address. Now, not only are there not typos and it's formatted the way that I want, I also don't have to remember his address. This is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Computers are meant to help us. Text Expander is an essential part of that. But it goes beyond that. For example, when I send out the push notification for Mac Geek Gab, there's some things that I want to edit in there. So I've created an intelligence snippet that actually prompts me. So I type MGG push, right? And it actually pops up a little window that says, hey, you know, what's the show number? What's this? Do you want... Uh, to trigger the sound or not. And then I hit enter and it creates this whole thing. That's a, a big, it's actually a JSON uh, snippet that I would never want to have to remember how to do. And especially there typos are critical because if I get it wrong, you get the wrong push. So this is really, really powerful stuff. They've made some changes with their pricing. Thankfully they made some changes again to that by listening to the community. This is what good companies do. Lifehacker subscriptions cost 40 bucks a year and include all the apps. That's Mac, iPhone, iPad, and Windows. It syncs amongst them all. Upgrade discounts are available for existing text expander users, chopping that price almost in half, I think. Really, really fantastic stuff. You can do team subscriptions so that your company can have snippet shared groups and everybody can have the same ones. You got to check it out. Go to smilesoftware.com slash geek. That's where you can start to learn about the brand new text expander. It's a utility that I use. Can't imagine not using it. It's one of the first things I install on a Mac. You're going to like it too. Check it out. Smilesoftware.com slash geek. 
I'm always hyper when I do this show, and there's a reason for that. Well, there's many reasons. One of them is that I'm excited to do the show, but the other is that I'm well-rested, and you can be well-rested too, thanks to our sponsor, Casper, at casper.com slash MGG. Casper is an online retailer of awesome premium foam mattresses. Now, it seems strange to want to buy your mattress online because you want to test it out first. Well, what's even stranger is thinking that going into a store with your clothes on is the right way to test a mattress. No, no. The best way to test a mattress is at your house by sleeping on it for many days in a row. And the way you do that is you go to casper.com slash MDG. You order your mattress. They ship it to you for free. We've got deals. I'm going to explain those to you in a minute. They ship it to you for free. You set it up. It's really easy to bring into the house. The box fits through all your doorways. You pop open the box. They have this whole thing that's actually very, very simple. Uh, you really open the mattress uh, wrapper with a letter opener. It, trust me, it's one of the coolest things that you'll ever see. It's totally simple, totally mechanical, totally beautiful. And then you put the mattress on your, uh, on your platform, or you could even put it on top of your box spring. And then you sleep on it. And if at any time during the first hundred nights that you're sleeping on it, you decide, you know what, this isn't for me, call them up. They'll come and get it. No charge to you. Hassle-free returns. And you get up to a hundred nights to decide. It's not going to take you that long to decide. They know that. I know that. You know that. But that's okay. They give you up to a hundred nights. You're going to know in a couple of weeks, to be frank, whether or not this is for you. These are premium foam mattresses and the price is awesome a couple of years before we were introduced to casper we bought a king size foam mattress premium top of the line it's a pretty good mattress but it's not as good as the casper we paid 1500 bucks actually it was like 1410 i think the casper king mattress retail and you're a mac geek up listener you don't pay retail is 950 bucks that's the most expensive mattress they sell you get 50 bucks off by using coupon code mgg you start at casper.com slash MGG. Then you use coupon code MGG. Saves you 50 bucks. Like I said, free shipping, 900 bucks for a king for you. Prices go down from there, as you might imagine. You got to check this out. Casper.com slash MGG. Coupon code MGG. Our thanks to Casper for sponsoring this episode. I think it's time to get off the router focus for a little while. Let's circle back to uh to kevin because that's where we were about to go uh when john or our who knows what the uh the interruption was uh kevin writes i've got a couple of rants we like rants and i was hoping you might just touch on these issues i know you can't do anything about them nor do you have any sway i'd just like to know your feelings says i'm an old computer geek my first computer was a 128k apple 2e I've done my own hardware upgrades since the day I plugged an 80-column card into my 2E and saved myself a ton of money over having Apple or Best Buy do the work. For a long time, I've seen Apple cut out the hobbyist market by making stuff non-user serviceable. The 2014 Mac Mini has taken me uh, to, has taken that to the ultimate extreme, where even the RAM isn't able to be swapped out. Traditionally, I've bought, bought Mac Minis with the base amount of RAM and bought RAM locally at a sale price, then did the upgrade myself. Why is Apple doing this? Do they really think 
that they will make more money by alienating the type of geek that the company was built upon. Um, you know, I'm going to read his second rant too, and, and oh, then we can, right. and then we'll, and then we'll blend them both together. Perhaps. I don't know. He says the second rant is why is Apple tradition? Uh, you know what? No, let's do the first one because it's, it's, this is interesting. So well, I can speak to the first one because I recently purchased one of these machines. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I'll give you my take on this. So number one, I would say that the 2014, uh, is actually better designed than the one that I had, which was the 2010. The 2010, although it did allow you, the user, to uh, replace the RAM, getting at the hard drive on that thing, you had to be very careful because the thing is you couldn't pull the motherboard out too far or you would disconnect uh, the IR sensor that it was hooked mm. up to. So you had to be very careful working on that machine the 2014, Dave, you can actually pull the motherboard out entirely. They redesigned it, and it's actually, I think, a, a nicer design. So you want to go to iFixit to get the instructions, and you can still swap out or add your own hard drive if you want. So there's, a, I think, an eSATA connector in there if you want to add uh, an SSD, and there's also a SATA 3 connector in there, which I've been in the machine a couple of times to swap out the hard drive. The only argument that I would present for not putting sockets in there to allow the user to upgrade the RAM is I would say, based on what I know about electronics here, uh, having a socket in there um, increases the chances of something going wrong. It does. Okay. Yeah, it's one more. I totally, I'm totally with it's you. It's one on more that. part, and yep. it also increases the potential. Part. Yeah. And it also increases the potential of somebody potentially destroying their machine yep if you can't replace the ram there's not the possibility of you maybe zapping the machine or or somehow doing something bad to it well um, and it also it allows apple to make the machines thinner and thinner and lighter and and more efficient right i mean they've they've been really looking to cram as much especially in the in the laptops and to be fair a lot of what they learn about the laptops winds up spilling I'll say up, but over is probably the right uh, way to say it into the non laptops. You know, your, your iMac these days is more like a laptop than a tower computer. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very flat design and Apple has learned a lot because they've focused on finding ways to fit all these components together in the least space necessary and hey, like John said, you know, if you can take out a connector, it means you take out a connector and a cable and the space needed for all of those things. And, you know, the ability, if you're going to have a connector, you should have the ability to get at that connector. So now you need some way of, of you know, getting there. But But Kevin, you're right. I mean, a lot of Apple's laptops now you can't change anything. It's not just the RAM. It's you can't change out the, well, you know what we call the hard drive, but it's not the hard drive. It's the SSD, you know, and a lot of them that's soldered too. And it's just how it's, it's how it's gone. And, and to answer your question, do they really think that they will make more money by alienating the type of geek that the company was built on? Y yeah, I think they do. And I think they've proven that that's true. Uh, there's less percentage-wise. Geeks are the small part. I, I'm not saying this uh, is good. It is. Yeah, but I gotta say the thing is. So yes, I had to think carefully 
that the amount of RAM that I got in this machine was the amount that I wanted forever. Right. And so I decided on eight gigs, which is what I had in my prior mini, and that served my needs quite well. Yep. So, um, but yeah, to his point, yeah, I think their goal is to increase reliability and to increase profit because, yeah. you know, it, it, it's quicker for them to put it together because they don't have to put in a socket and then insert the RAM into the socket or have someone do that. Though I guess, you know, I had a robot do it in the past. But, um, yeah, right, right. Yeah, and uh, on the one hand, yes, I, I can say as someone who has, you know, what we'll call built or put together to the best of our ability a system in that you replace the components it ships with versus what you got is what you got. Um, yeah, I can understand the frustration of, them taking that control away. Yeah. It requires a change of thinking on our part. Yeah. It, it, you know, do they care? Do they, I mean, I don't know if they're intentionally alienating anybody, but I think they're just moving in a priorities. Uh, they're moving in a direction to, yeah. So yeah, they're going to make more money. Uh, and they're going to increase reliability. And I think that's the motivation for them. I think, I think it's uh, the reliability. Yeah. Consistency. We know that that machine is configured this way and we can troubleshoot it remotely much easier, you know, without variables. And I, and, and, and then that preserves the Apple experience, right? If, if you're not a geek, right? If you're a geek, it's, it's fine. But if you're not a geek, but your geek friends come over and, uh, you know, upgrade your RAM, like, dude, Oh, you've only got, you know, two gigs of RAM. We got, we got to get you more than that. And they, you know, swap out the RAM. You're like, okay, you know, maybe you understand exactly what they did. Maybe you only understand a little bit. Well, they did something and it's, yeah, I think it's faster now. They, they, they certainly seem to think it's better. That's great. But then three months down the road, that user has a problem and says, well, I don't exactly know, you know, and I can't get in touch with my geek friend. So I'll just call Apple because they provide support and all this stuff. And now, you know, you've got someone that's having a problem with their computer that can't, uh, really uh, uh, can't articulate what it was that has changed about this machine to the person that's trying to help them on the other end of the phone. And so now that person has this, you know, somewhat negative experience with their Apple hardware. Apple works really, you hear Tim Cook talk about customer sat, customer sat, customer sat, right? That's not a sat customer right there. So, you know, the, eliminating the ability to add variables to this, the equation keeps customer sat high. And, and yeah, I mean, it's priorities, right, John? It's, it's what they've chosen to focus on. It doesn't mean it's right or it's wrong. It's just it's what yeah. it is. And I would offer on the latest machines, at least in the terms of storage, uh, now, they didn't in the 2010, and that was my motivation to upgrade it. The 2010, the ports in the 2010 were were pretty bad. I mean, it was FireEye 800 and USB 2. Whereas this, the 2014 has Thunderbolt 2 and USB 3, which uh, I think is adequate for external storage. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. N not, as, not quite as nice as, uh, well, I don't know. Um, USB 3, I think, is... Uh, on, uh, Maybe not quite as good as SATA 3, but I think good enough. Yep. And then Thunderbolt, of course, can, you know, can scream if you want it to, though you're going to pay, you know, a little bit of a premium to get a Thunderbolt thing. So, well, and you still need a, an, a bus, right? I mean, it's, right. it's going to be Thunderbolt to SATA or Thunderbolt to, mm -hmm. you know, Firewire or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
All right, his second rant, which we'll probably spend a little bit less time on, I hope. Uh, why has Apple traditionally ignored gaming on the Mac? And to clarify his question, he says, the integrated Intel graphics on almost all modern Macs uh, is mostly useless for playing any kind of graphics-intensive game because it's a hardware limitation. Even running Windows through Boot Camp is unable to work around the issue. What's even more galling is seeing Apple push gaming on iOS. Is there some reason that they oppose games on the Mac? I know that John Carmack, among others, has been calling out Apple for years to no effect. Does Apple not care that the ability to run games drives some computer purchase decisions? Again, I think this comes down to priorities. Uh, but you're right that the 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 graphics hardware on most Macs is it sort of pales in comparison to what you would get on a gaming focused machine, you know, running Windows. I will say this though, and I think it's it's priorities. However, I think that Apple is going to care a lot more about VR than games. But there is a spillover, and it is about the graphics card, right? You cannot use an Oculus Rift on the Mac because, and the CEO has said this, yeah, we don't make that. it because the graphics card essentially sucks. I'm paraphrasing and, and cleaning it up, I think. But, um, you know, and so I think we will see some Macs, perhaps not all, but some Macs with significantly improved graphics hardware because of uh, kind of the, the VR realm. And I really do think that Apple cares about this and, and will care about it. So I, I think gaming will get this uh, renewed hardware and, and hopefully renewed attention from developers when that happens. So that that's hmm. my thought on that. Yeah. I, I think Apple in general just really, I mean, I, I do some gaming, you know, I play, uh, you know, a couple of Steam games and, and they perform to my satisfaction. Um, though I'm not a big gamer, but I would think right now their focus is not the gaming market, you know? And in my humble opinion, if you want a game, I'd, you know, I'd get like a PS4 or a Xbox or something like that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think Apple has positioned their platform as a gaming platform. Yeah, but Apple TV, I don't think, man. But you're right. But uh, um, good point. Yes, they 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 changed direction on the Apple TV. Yep. Um, in that they did highlight the gaming abilities of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. No. Good point. So um, hey, it'll be interesting. So I think to see. they're sending they're sending a mixed message. They're they're they're. Identifying the Apple TV as a gaming platform, mm -hmm. but, um, <laughs> but not the Mac. Right. Well, uh, which one is hooked up to the and even iOS? In your house? Yeah. I mean, they, you know, and and they've demoed, you know, lots of games that seem to perform quite well on oh, the yeah. uh, on iOS devices as yeah. well. So, so why are they shunning the Mac as a gaming platform? But I wouldn't say iOS they're shunning. Yeah, it's just again, it's priorities. I don't think it's a mm. like this shall not be the gaming machine. It's like these are the gaming machines. You know what I mean? I, I think it's and, and I realize the the net outcome is the same, but I don't think it's. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe it yeah. is. And like I said, um, you can absolutely play games on your Mac. There are plenty of games, you know, Steam uh, yeah. and stuff like that. But some of them may, uh, you know, but I found a couple. They said, well, yeah, the graphics, you're not going to get a satisfactory experience if you're playing it on a Mac because the their graphics, you know, the integrated graphics is. Yeah. All right, let's answer some questions. Shall we? Steve writes, just wondering if you have a concise list 
of finder replacements that you'd recommend and why. Um, as I was putting this together, really, I can only think of two that are usable with properly usable with, with El Capitan and that's Pathfinder from Cocotech um, and Commander One from Eltima. Those, those are the two that come to mind for me. Uh, obviously, there used to be Total Finder, but, um, but that doesn't work with system integrity protection and that whether or not you care about system integrity protection, it sort of telegraphs, not even telegraphs, that, that they're just not going to keep marching forward on that particular product. So I think, you know, you, if you're going to start with something new, it should not be that, uh, regardless of your feelings on system integrity protection. So, um, but Pathfinder certainly um, is one, and I've used that. In fact, I've used it quite a bit from time to time. At the moment, I'm not using it, but, um, and then Commander One uh, is the other one. And I've never, I've never used Commander One, but I know a lot of people speak very, very highly of it. Um, I'd be curious if other people know about others. John, what do you, uh, do, what, what are your thoughts on this? Is there anything we're missing too? Oh, I mean, total finder, but not really because it's not. Yeah. I was a fan of that. And actually I think now he, he has, you know, published a workaround where you can get it to work with El Capitan, but, um, I haven't gone down that path yet. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, listener Howard and, and I'll, uh, I'll jump to this because I think it's relevant. Uh, suggested a cool stuff found. And he says that he was a pathfinder and total finder user. He says, uh, he had some problem with an older version of total finder, which I think, uh, has been fixed, but, uh, and obviously, to, uh, with pathfinder and then total finder he can't use. He said he found a finder add in that, uh, that does a lot of what these things do. It uses the finder. Uh, it's called extra finder. And we'll put a link to it in the, uh, in the show notes, of course, from Tranky Nam, and we've we've suggested this on the show before, but it's worth mentioning. Uh, it adds tabs, allows you to arrange your folders. It adds true cut and paste, so some global hotkeys. Uh, they've got some labels in a way that people might have missed. Um, you can see the size and the status bar, colored icons in the sidebar, that sort of thing. So we'll put a link to this in the show notes because I think for some folks. Uh, this might actually do exactly what you're looking for without requiring a separate program. It's just an add on to the finder. So we will, uh, we'll throw that in there because that's what we do. Have you ever used this, uh, this uh, extra finder, John? Right now I'm pretty much an Apple yep. finder type of guy. I've, I've been able to manage, yep. uh, along with some of the tips and tricks that, uh, sure our community have pointed out, especially that, you know, like that, uh, moving, uh, you know, the hidden kind of hidden move command. Mm -hmm. uh, that's one that was a motivation for me to use other products is that, you know, I thought it wasn't there and it is, I mean, you gotta, you know, in kind of a roundabout way, you gotta get to it, but yeah, yeah, it's nice, nice that it's there. So, so yeah, I haven't felt as of late a need to look at finder replacements. But I, and I suppose that's a good thing. I mean, unless you're a finder replacement developer, <laughs> but, but maybe we're missing something, right? I mean, there's those things that if you don't know that it's better then you don't know that it's better. So I'd love to hear from uh, you folks about it too. Um, 
Another question from Harvey, John, this time. Harvey writes, I've been having a problem recently and can't figure out a solution. Periodically, when my computer boots up, which it does at every morning at six o'clock, it fails to load any of my printers. What I get when I go to system preferences and click on printers is a blank slate. And he sent us a screenshot. He goes into system preferences, printers and scanners, and there's nothing listed. And in fact, it says no printers are available. It says usually restarting the computer is all it takes. And all of my printers come back, uh, including all the ones that I use at work that aren't at my house. It says any thoughts on what is corrupted on my Mac? And I think you're right, Harvey, that something is corrupted. The printing subsystem is exactly that. It is an entire system inside of OS 10 and OS 10 simply provides you vision into it as long as everything is exposed properly. So it could very well be that all of your printers are properly configured and, uh, and everything is all set. But the one file that OS 10 looks at to kind of be the gateway into whatever data it needs to extract from this might be, either corrupted or there's a permissions thing or something. My suggestion is to reset the entire printing system. Uh, And this is done very easily. It will, it will remain, it will mean that you will have all of your printers removed permanently and you need to re add them. But, um, but resetting the printing system is very easy. You go into that same place, system preferences, printers and scanners, and then right click anywhere in the white space where you don't have a printer, which for you is the entire uh, white space. But if you have printers listed, just right click below that and choose reset printing system. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes about uh, the, the, the uh, tech note about it, the, the knowledge base article, but, uh, but that's pretty much all you need to know. And it'll, it'll go and wipe out this whole thing all of these, you know, it's, I mean, it, like everything in OS 10 is just a graphics interface for whatever happens in Unix. And, and the printing subsystem is one of those sort of more complex uh, things. It's not just one file. So uh, wipe it out, start from scratch and see what you get. Furby's in the chat room asks, do you lose custom page sizes when you do that? I don't know. Um, but be prepared that that would also be a casualty of this. Anything that you've set up in your printing system might be blown away, but it might not. I, I, again, I'm not, I'm not sure exactly how much is it's cups, the common Unix printing system. I know it's that cups, right? Right. Mm-hmm. CUPS is what is, is what's really used here. So it, it's going to wipe all of that out and, and kind of start it from scratch. So that, that's, that's my thought on this one, John. I mean, the only other thought I have is that when the printers do appear, you could, delete one and then add it again and maybe that'll nudge your printing system in the right direction oh yeah sure yeah that'll rewrite some files yeah yeah maybe that doing that when the printers do appear uh Mm. we'll get it into a better state um but it may not there there may be so it sounds like there's some damage so it, it could be damaged so badly that what you suggested which is wiping everything is the best way to do it but i would suggest maybe that's a good idea. As a first step, you know, when you see them, get rid of one and then add it again. And and maybe everybody will be happy. Yeah. Though maybe not. I mean, I'm looking at my system here and I don't think I've ever, well, the thing is I haven't really changed my printing environment in ages here. I got two printers. I got a laser printer via TCP IP and then I have a HP inkjet shared yeah. for my Mac. And uh, I've, I've never had 
Once I've set them up, I've never had them disappear on me. So. That's good. Yeah, they're not supposed to. What what Harvey? What of you're seeing, not. Harvey is yeah is is obviously yeah. So, but hopefully resetting it will will get there. So, John, I, there's one thing I want to talk about. It's just one little thing. Um, you know me that the last two iPhone revisions I've bought um, with the when the sixes came out, I bought the six plus, uh, the larger of the two, and then when the S series of the six came out. I got the 6S Plus. And I really, really liked the large screen on the the 6 Plus. I mean, instantly it was this thing. It was like, oh, this is great. And I and I and I came on the show here and I talked about how I really there were there were times where having the large screen totally saved me. I was able to get something done that I just couldn't have gotten done on a phone before and and this the flexibility from remote is uh, is astounding you, you know it's it's almost like having an ipad in your pocket uh in terms of a lot of that and sure being on airplanes and you can watch a movie on on the phone and it's actually big enough and the battery life is great so i i had just convinced myself that the uh, plus size iphone was for me but you know i i keep a spare phone or two around in case somebody in the family smashes or destroys their phone we've got something that they can you know, use. And so what that meant was I always had um, either an iPhone five or an iPhone five S on my desk. And once every couple of weeks I need to, uh, to charge it up because you know, you got to keep the battery, keep the electrons flowing. Right. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't turn it off. I would just leave it on in airplane mode and it would take about two weeks to, to die down. So every two weeks I'd be picking up this, this, uh, you know, iPhone five or five S, whatever it happened to be at the time. And like, huh, you know, And I'd plug it in and, and that would be the end of it for, you know, uh, two weeks, but every two weeks there was this reminder of, wow, this, um, it's a nice size phone, you know? And so when the SE came out, I couldn't help myself. So, um, Apple sent me one to, to play with and, uh, and you saw this, I've had this for a couple of weeks. I haven't said anything on the show about it because I, I my, I've had these conflicting thoughts. I really just wanted to check it out, you know, and see what's it like to have a small phone. That's got mostly, you know, the, the, the same speed and guts that I'm, that I'm used to. I have had, um, two instances where I have been unhappy. Well, where, uh, what I would call a, a negative, uh, experience with the small phone. One of them was I was out with my wife and we were seeing a band. And so uh, she wanted a drink. And so I went to the bar to get two drinks and I had to wait at the bar for a couple of minutes because sometimes that's how it happens. And so I, you know, got him and whatever uh, paid and grabbed the two drinks and I'm walking back to our table. And I thought, oh, crap, I left my phone on the bar. And then I realized and so that was that was the negative experience. I realized, no, 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 I didn't leave my phone on the bar. It's in my pocket. <laughs> it's just so much smaller than I'm used to that I felt like I left it on the bar. So, and, and both of the negative experiences that I've had have been exactly that. Like, oh, oh, wait. Oh, no, no, no. It's there. You know, this panic of crap. I left my phone somewhere. Um, I'll get over that to be to be perfectly frank. There have been zero in, in the last two and a half weeks. And to be fair, I haven't done any significant travel. I mean, I drove down to see you, but that's that's a little bit different um, than flying somewhere or anything. And I've I've got some of that coming up, so I'll experience that too to be see what it's like on the road with uh, 
with with the the quote unquote smaller phone, uh, which is still bigger than the iPhone was when it started, obviously. But um, but other than that, I have not missed having the large screen at all. Um, in fact, the first day that I got the SE and got it all set up, uh, I got a I got a phone call from somebody, and this is somebody that you know will keep me on the phone for like forty five minutes, an old, old old friend of mine, and. Man, at the end of that phone call, I was like, this phone is a delight because I, I didn't use a headset. I just happened to be, I was in the house. I didn't have a headset close by. And when he called, I just picked it up and, and chatted. It's like, man, this thing's so lightweight. The battery lasts forever on it. Almost as, I would say almost as long as the battery on my, on my 6S Plus. Um, it obviously has it, the, the speed. So the, the two things that are different between this and the 6S Plus is it has the older slash slower touch ID sensor, which frankly, I actually kind of like. Um, I like a little bit of a lag on that. <laughs> oh, it does. Yeah. Because, you know, that was one of my reflections, too. I've had many people, including me, when I got the 6S, I was yeah. like, it's too fast. Yeah. And I, got, I expected I, my use, because the way I used it in the past is right. I expected it to give pause because sometimes I wouldn't want it to mm. unlock the phone. Exactly. Yeah. So, so that, but I mean, I had gotten used to that on the six S plus. I hadn't really thought about it in a long time, but when I went back to this, it was like, Oh, that's kind of, you know, that's nice. Um, it doesn't really matter to me that, you know, the speed of the touch ID sensor and it's missing uh, 3d touch, which I had finally started to kind of integrate into my day, but is easy enough to sort of let go of. I, 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 it, it personally, I don't see it as a problem. I, I see it as a questionable, what is Apple telegraphing here by saying we've taken all the new hardware and put it in the, you know, the, the, the form factor of this iPhone SE, but all the new hardware means not 3d touch. So what are they saying about the future of 3D touch there? There's, there's a whole separate conversation about that. And this, this sort of feeds into it in an, in an odd way. I don't miss it on this most of the time. There's a couple of times where I've like been, you know, digging in on, you know, trying to move a message around or whatever. It's like, oh yeah, I can't do that. You know, that's not, that's not part of this thing. But, um, but I've been really happy with this. And, you know, one thing I was thinking of was a lot of people complain about, uh, battery life we all do at times well and and that was one of the things that i really liked about the plus size iphone is it yes it had a bigger screen that used more power but it had percentage wise more power uh, uh, comparatively relatively more power than than the screen would take so it, the battery would last longer on that um and the and the and the se is pretty close to that battery life maybe not quite there but uh, it's it's pretty good but here's the thing a battery case on the iPhone SE is still much smaller than the uh, iPhone 6S Plus. So I'm starting to think maybe I should reinvestigate battery cases for the SE and maybe this makes it the perfect travel phone, right? Because now I have this device that's not huge in my pocket, a little bit thicker than it than it is out of the box with a battery case. And now, you know, happy, happy time time. So I'm, I'm, I, it's been interesting for me uh, and actually everybody around me, they're like, really, you, you, you actually like this thing? I love it. I, I haven't, it took me about a day to get used to typing on the, you know, smaller keyboard again. Uh, but it didn't take that long. You know, the, the adjustment period was slow. And obviously many people wouldn't have the adjustment period if they weren't coming from a larger phone down to it. 
I, this, this may be my, my phone size. I, you know, you got to kind of stretch out and try different things. But, uh, for me and the way I use a phone, I'm thinking, you know, that, that six, we have a six, we have a couple of sixes in the house too. And so I have experimented with all three sizes. I, for me, and you may feel this way, you may not, but for me, I feel like the six is unnecessary. It's either you want the big screen and you should just get the biggest screen that they offer, or you don't want the big screen and you prioritize size. And so you should get this other thing, because for me in my pocket, the six is still big enough that it's somewhat unwieldy, not quite as, I mean, I, I could sit down with the, the plus size iPhone in my pocket, but I wouldn't typically do that. Um, with the six, I also wouldn't typically do that. It's sort of the same experience for me, which is why I went to the plus. It was like, well, if I'm going to go bigger, I'm just going to go all the way up. Um, whereas the SE, I sit down with it in my pocket all the time because I don't think about it. So, uh, so I don't see a need for the, the six, I, I, the normal size iPhone, if you call it normal size, I don't see a, size, a need for the, the, the six sized iPhone. I, I think the plus or the SE and you're done. That's my feeling. Any questions, John? And, and, and now that I've sort of opened this can of worms, I'm obviously expecting questions from all of you too, because, uh, because this has been very interesting for me having this head shift, but John, do you have any questions right now? No, in my case, I'm happy with the success. I've just moved to, uh, so when I got it, it was still, you know, the colder weather. Sure. Now we're getting in the warmer weather. I've moved from, so typically I put my phone in my jacket pocket as I think most males do because it's jacket weather. Now we're getting mm. out of jacket weather here. We're starting to warm up here. So I've moved from putting, you know, the two things I carry typically all the time are my keys and my phone. Right. Now I put them in my pants pocket because I don't really need a jacket anymore. And uh, the six is, the 6S is just about the right size. Yeah. And when you my keys, actually, I, I typically have a lot of keys, but I have a detachable, you know, the, the sure. ballet style thing is a lot of times I'll detach the keys that I don't need. It's actually one that I got at the Apple store when we were out there last. <laughs> cool. So I have my car key and then I have the rest of my keys. And sometimes, you know, I don't need the rest of my keys when I'm out and about and, you know, yeah, I, I just need the car key. So sometimes I'll, I'll detach it. So it's less of a, you know, uh, bulge in my pocket there. So, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so I like, I like, and you know, I had the same situation one time. I think my uh, one time around the house, I, I, I don't really have a regular place where I put my phone down. And I remember one time I actually did put my, uh, I, I couldn't find my phone. I'm like, sure. where is it? It's not here. It's not in the kitchen. It's not. In the and so I used find my iPhone and it turns out I, you know, had put it somewhere and then put a uh, newspaper or something over it. So I, I couldn't see it or I couldn't even see the screen if sure. the notification came up. Yeah. <laughs> but find my iPhone. Oh yeah. Yeah. I could find it then. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's been interesting. Uh, you know, I think, I think having an Apple watch, factors into it somewhat well i don't know I, I i you know i don't wear the apple watch every day um i i kind of mix and match different watches and, and all that but uh but yeah i this is the right size phone for me i really i'm 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 beginning to come around to that so we'll see how i feel in a couple more weeks but uh i'll, I'll have to at some point go back to the 6s plus um simply to to experience it after having experienced this and see if if uh if i say oh no okay I, I had a i had a lapse now i'm back it's all much it's all that much better but i i can't imagine that i'm going to i've been very very excited about the the size of this thing so 
That's where we're going to end it today, John. All right. Yeah. That's how we go. That's how we go. I already mentioned it once during the show. Feedback at MacGeekab.com is the place where you can send in your questions, your tips, your thoughts, anything. Whatever you like. It's all good. Feedback at MacGeekab.com is what I believe you said. That's what I said. It is. You can also email us if you're a premium listener at premium at MacGeekab.com. In this show, we had, uh, I believe, two people that uh, that wrote in that uh, were premium listeners. That was Debbie, the QoS question, and Harvey with the printer's question. So thank you, uh, Harvey and Debbie and everybody else that's a premium listener. Thank you so much for your support. We really, really appreciate it. It's... Um, it helps. I mean, it, it all it all works together, and everybody plays a part. Uh, premium listeners and and uh, and non premium listeners alike. So we appreciate everything. It's really good. Two two four eight 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 geek is the phone number that you all get to use, John. And geek is four three three five. I like it. How else can they find us, Mister Braun? Um, Twitter. Sure. How about Twitter? The podcast is Mac Geekab. The publication is Mac Observer. I am John F. Braun. He is Dave Hamilton. That other guy who I'm sure will be back at some point is Pilot Pete. I miss Pete. Twitter. Yeah. Nice. All right. He's uh, got to. He's got to keep. He's got to keep piloting. That's what he does. Uh, let's see. What else do we have here? Oh. I want to thank the folks at Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com, for providing all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. The podcast marketplace, of course, with our great sponsors, smilesoftware.com slash geek is where you can learn all about Smile. This month, it's Text Expander. Casper at casper.com slash MGG, where coupon code MGG saves you 50 bucks. Gazelle at gazelle.com. If you want to sell off your bigger iPhone to get a small one, Gazelle is going to give you the money for it. Squarespace at squarespace.com slash MGG. Otherworld Computing at maxsales.com. And of course, Barebones Software at barebones.com. John, I started this one. You finish it. Give him some advice. I'm going to finish it. And I'm going to give you some very good advice that should apply in all aspects of your life. Don't get caught. Made up.